great to have you all here this morning. So glad that you're with us. Absolutely love that we get to worship together. Love that we get to hear together, that we get to live this out together. And uh, in many ways, that's the heart of this series, this word oikonomia. I pronounced it wrong in the Greek, apparently, the first week. Nana was sitting there. He was that upset he moved to the back and now he's not here at all. I says, I've really, I've really messed it up. Uh, but oikonomia, this word that has just grabbed my attention for the last number of months. And, and I have to say, I'm so grateful for Amy and for David the last couple of weeks, uh, what they shared. I said to Amy two weeks ago, uh, Amy, I know, I know oikonomia was something that I felt like I was carrying, I was wrestling with it. And, uh, and I felt like whenever Amy spoke two weeks ago, I felt like, ah, now I feel like I really understand it. So I was so grateful for Amy, so grateful for David uh, sharing the last couple of weeks. But what, I, what, what, I'd, love to, what I'd love to share for the first few minutes uh, this morning and, uh, is, is, the, is the, word oiko, the word oiko, the word oikos. And you'll see that word quite often throughout the New Testament. You'll see it. It's a Greek word, and you'll see it. Um, you'll see it especially in the the letters of Paul. You'll see it especially in in his ministry from from Acts chapter nine, right right through, as you follow the pattern of Paul's ministry in the book of Acts. Because Paul, what what he's talking about whenever he goes from house to house. When we're told that Paul went from household to household, he's not just talking about the physical structure. He's talking about a network of relationships. He's talking about an extended family. And that's what we've tried to say every week is, 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 is we need to broaden our picture of what, what, it, what the household looks like when we read it through the New Testament. We want to see this through, through New Testament lens, through the early church, the lens of the early church. And, uh, and we see actually in Acts chapter 16 that, that Paul went to the household of Lydia and, and the household came to faith, the household was baptized. We see a few verses later actually in Acts 16, the, the story of the, of the jailer. And the jailer was about to take his own life and, and Paul's like, no, don't do it. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved. And he was in all of his household. This network of relationships this extended family. And now we see Acts 18 and Acts 19 and then on into his letters, how Paul went from household to household, how he went from oikos to oikos. And because Paul knew and what we, how we introduced this three weeks ago was by saying, Paul, I believe with all my heart that Paul knew, Paul understood that, that the gospel would take root and spread through the context of a family an extended family on a mission. He knew that it would take root and, ex and it would spread as he went from oikos to oikos. As he went from this extended family to extended family. And I just want to—I just want to say this. There's a few pictures I want to put up in a moment. Johnny's going to do that. I'm going to play a bit of a guessing game. But I want to suggest to you that the idea of a nuclear family is alien to the scripture. And so when I'm using this word nuclear family, it's defined, it's mostly defined as being 
uh, husband and wife, two kids, job, house, me and my own, looking after, looking after just this uh, basic social unit, some definitions put it. But that idea of the nuclear family, I think, is, is alien to scripture. Put up the first picture. I wanted to play a bit of a guessing game. Anybody know what this uh, television series is? Roseanne, well done, thank you. Misspent youth down at the back. Roseanne, next one, Johnny. Be a bit more modern. We have a winner. Ding, ding, ding. Home, impro- home improvement. Just before you put the next one up, Johnny, hold that there every second. So the, 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 these are shows, and I suppose in the, in the 90s, the early 90s, I think Roseanne's even before that. Rumor has it for Roseanne fans. Julie, apparently it's making a comeback. We'd be glad to hear. Or maybe not. But uh, apparently, it's, uh, apparently Roseanne is, is making a return to the TV after 20 years. But here's a sort of, of a, a concept that the, the producers of these TV shows were, were showing that the nuclear family. I think Home Improvement shows it even better than Roseanne because they're so all about the, the, the basic unit. They're so all about uh, mom and dad and the three kids that we only ever see the neighbor's eyes and his hat. He's always only ever peeking over the fence to see what's going on. And, uh, and there's part of me that, there's part of me finds that amusing, but there's part of me as I think of it in a, in a, more spiritual context, if I can, that part of me grieves that sometimes we live in such a way that the people are just sort of looking in. They're having to, to sneak a peek, having to whisper through the fence when somebody manages to make their way out of the four walls of the, ho- of the house building. But a number of years after this had been started, this television series uh, made its introduction. Can anybody tell me what this one is? Friends. Friends, uh, they never thought it would be as successful as it turned out to be. It was, a, it was an idea that piloted this in, back in 1994, and then it just gripped, just gripped the nation, it gripped the world, this, this idea that moved from Television had moved from uh, the idea of a nuclear family to actually what turned out to be something of what an extended family looks like. See, this show it didn't it didn't it didn't repair nuclear family. For those of you that are Friends fans, you'll know that many of the many of the people shown in this picture, their f- nuclear family had fallen apart. It had broken down experienced misery after misery in the nuclear family, but they found something in this extended family. And so this show didn't, didn't repair the nuclear family, but it actually, it actually recreated an extended family out of the mess of the broken down nuclear family. Does that make sense? So here, here was a show that was, trying to sh- was, was, was not repairing nuclear, but it was recreating an extended family that would that would that would that would repair that would repair the mess of the broken 
nuclear family. And you know what? I think I'm re- almost quite reluctant to it. I don't want people going away saying, Neil compared Jesus to friends. But in some ways, Jesus did that. Whenever he was gathered around all of these people, they said, Jesus, your mother and your brother and sister are, are they're outside. They're waiting for you. And here, Jesus, he almost redefines what family is. He says, this, is, this was never meant just to be about me and mom and dad and my brother and sister. He extends it. He redefines what family is. And it's him that actually comes and, 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 and recreates an extended family in the mess of the broken down nuclear family. That's what, Jesus, that's what Jesus does and that's what Jesus continues to do. So we had the absolute joy last, uh, last Saturday, Saturday week ago, of hosting an event, an adoption and fostering event at the castle. So grateful that mum and dad would host that and, and uh, make food for that. So grateful that the girls would help out with the, those young people. But here was a picture of, of this idea of the extended family. Every one of those children, every one of those 14 or 15 children that were at the castle last Saturday, nuclear family had broken down. Nuclear family that had been, they had been let down by that basic structure, almost to that basic right just to have a home, to have someone to love them, to have someone to care for them. It had broken down. But we're surrounded at the castle with adopters and foster carers who love Jesus and have recognized that it's the ministry of Jesus that redefines what the family looks like. And so the mess of, of every one of those kids is, is, is now being repaired in the wider household. It's being repaired in the, in, the, in the oikos, this extended family, this picture of the extended family. And so, to, so I just wanted to, to, to mention that. And I want to go back to this word, oikonomia. The oikos is the household. The noma is the custom, the law. And what we've been talking about uh, is, is the idea of this word meaning household management. It's, it's, it effectively means literally defined as household management. We've been pushing into that a wee bit further. Amy did that and David did that. The household management, it's, it's us realizing that the responsibility of stewarding what we've been given. Stewarding what has been entrusted to us. Managing it well. And, and throughout all of this, over the next number of weeks and beyond, we want the idea of this word to, to be about how we manage our lives well. How we manage the oikos really well. How we, how we steward well. How we invest well as a family. How we invest well as a family and mission. We want it to be about following Jesus. We want it to be about seeing his kingdom break in and transform lives. That's what we want the series. Simple as that. That's all we're looking. To see how we can invest well as family and mission. How we can manage life well. How we can follow Jesus and how we can see his kingdom break in and transform lives. Two weeks ago, Amy brought us right back to the beginning of scripture. She brought us right back to Genesis. Took us through different points of, of, of Exodus and Leviticus. And seeing that even right back in the, at the beginning, 
that even then we were encouraged to manage well. This word, the oikonoma, is not mentioned. But the idea of it seems to, seem to, seems to find its way into the early pages of Scripture. Being encouraged to manage well. Being encouraged to steward what you've been given really well. The word's not mentioned, but the idea seems to be firmly rooted right from the beginning. What is crystal clear is that right at the beginning, the idea of a family and mission is there at the beginning and its thread runs right the way through the scripture. See, God called Abraham. God called Abraham to be a father to the nations. He would be father to the nations. And I'd love us all to stand and sing, Father Abraham, Father Abraham had many sons and I'm one of them. We are part of this family and mission. That idea has been had its foundation right at the beginning. And we see its thread right along. We see Moses leading this family on a mission to the land that God had promised them. This big, wide, extended family. And Moses leads this family on a mission to the land that God has promised them. And I believe with all my heart that that is still, is still foundational it's still at the, it's still at the, right at the root of the Father's heart, right at the center of the Father's heart is this idea that we would be a family and mission and we would follow him and we would manage well and we would invest well and we would be led into the place that he has for us. He'd be led into the promises that he has spoken over us and even God himself. If you want to take it right right back to the beginning. God himself is, is family and mission. You have this beautiful picture of the, of the Trinitarian dance of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. If they are in themselves a family and mission. God is a God on, on mission. And Jesus modeled this. This is what Jesus modeled really well. He modeled it really well because he almost didn't have to model it this way. Jesus modeled the, this idea of a family and mission because he refused to do ministry outside the context of family and mission. Jesus refused to do ministry out of the context of a family and mission. And so if there's anybody, if there's anybody in all of history, in all of Christendom that could get away with doing ministry on their own, it's, it has to be Jesus. The Son of God, surely if anybody can do it on his own, it'll be him. But Jesus refused to. He refused to do it alone. He refused to do it outside the context of a family and mission. And that is, we're, we're, we make up part of that this morning. We're, we're, we're an expression of the, of the bigger picture. We are a small part of the, the bigger family that is on a mission. And as this expression is a family and mission, we're wanting, to, we're wanting to grow and we're wanting to explore. We want to explore, we want to see how we can grow our resources. And I want to, I want to be, I want us to know, every, I think every time that we mention this word resources, we automatically think money. We automatically think something material to give away. I'd love, I'd love us that we could begin to, maybe, maybe it's not for you, but if it is, I'd love to almost break that myth. And we use language like resources. 
David mentioned last David mentioned last week. I used the word a couple of weeks ago, capital, when it came to this conversation of what we have to invest. But I'd love to use the word resource. But I'd love in using the word resource that we break away from the idea that it's just about financial. It's just about the material things that we have. Because I think, I think we get sucked into thinking, well, I don't have any resources. I don't have anything to invest because I don't have enough stuff or I don't have enough money. And I'd love just to break that myth. Love that it would be broken right now in the name of Jesus. But I'd love us to see that our resources are our time, that our resources are the energy that we have. The resources are the relationships that we are in. And as we, and as we continue to explore this word, as we continue to explore the meaning of what it is to manage well and to invest well, it's all so that we can have more to share. It's all so that we can have more to, to, to give away. If I can take you back as well to, to the thread that ran through what Amy shared two weeks ago and through what David shared last week. Amy said, around the, around the, the, the issue of identity, and last two weeks ago, Amy said, knowing who we are determines how well we steward. Knowing who we are determines how well we steward. I think David pushed that a wee bit further last week. He said, if you don't know who you are, how will you steward well? Because you won't understand what you've been given. If you don't know who you are, how will you steward well? Because you won't understand what you've been given. See, I found that in some of my some of the things that I, that I try to preach, some of the things that I, even in my own personal time, I've realized that, that it, I can often become guilty of over overemphasizing the activity of mission apart from who I am. There's times where it feels like I've almost separated the two. I've been guilty of overemphasizing the activity of mission what we do, what must be achieved, what we need to get done. And I've separated it from who I am. I've separated it from the identity that I carry that empowers the mission. I somehow managed to separate the two at times when I preach, at times when I'm praying. But it's this identity that it's this identity that we carry that empowers the activity of mission. And so the, often we talk the identity as sons and daughters, and that's good. But often that leaves us with a, a, a mindset of an individual, an individualistic mindset. It's great. I want to. I want to keep on saying you're, you're sons and you're, you're daughters, and how important it is to live from that identity that you do from what you are. But I think it's really important, and especially as we journey through this, this word and this idea, is that our identity is as a family on mission. Our identity is, our identity is as family, and so we are sons, we are daughters, but we're family. And you don't, I think it's really important that we, that we get that. 
And so we can't do we can't do family sometimes, and we can't and then do mission other times. I believe with all my heart that they can't be separated. Can't separate the two. I'm reading through I'm reading through First John, the letter First John, five chapters of just so if David's David's went for James chapter one, I'm going to go even. I'm going to ask you to read the whole of First John, that whole letter, and see if we could grasp what John sent. John is, I um, I'll say something different the next series that I do, but I, or the next time I get stuck into a book. But John, I love, I love John. I th- I don't know if he, I don't know if I can say he's my favorite character in the Bible, but I think he's my favorite writer. And as I said, it might be changed. I'm, where am I going to go to next week? I'm going to get stuck into First and Second Samuel and stuff. So I'll probably come up with something different next week. At the minute, it's John. He's incredible, and he he fully understands. I think he fully understands that the that the mission, that the activity of mission, and the idea of family. To think that you can separate the two of them, you're, you're crazy. He is so passionate when it comes to the idea of, you're, you're saying that you love God. How, how well are you loving the family? How well are you loving your fellow brothers and sisters? Because if you're telling me that you love God and it's not being shown in your relationships with one another, forget about it. You're fooling yourselves. You're deceiving yourselves. You're a liar. He's, he is really poking some buttons, John. But I think he gets this. I think he gets that we, can, we cannot separate the two. If we've, if we've heard the call of God and we put our faith and trust in him, we can no longer separate what he's called us to do from who he's called us to, to journey it along with. And I fear sometimes that, and I see this in my own life at times, the fear that I have is that if we don't see this, is that the, the danger of that is that we, ca- we end up just carrying the an idea that we are an individual missionary. And so we end up sometimes, we possibly think then, when it comes to church, brilliant, it's great that we can all be together. Now let's worship and sing and let's hear the preaching and let's have a really good cup of coffee and do whatever you can to empower me so that I can go out and, and tell my colleague about Jesus or do what empower me so that I can read my Bible or that I, my quiet time can be really effective. And, and that would be brilliant. And that's what we do want to see that. We want that. We don't want to create, we don't want to create better individual missionaries. We want to create a, a better understanding that we are a, a family on mission. We're not just here to, on a Sunday morning to empower you to go out and be not exclusively. We want that. But not exclusively, not with, not without forgetting that we are a family. Our identity is as a family. Our identity that we carry is family on mission. Jesus could have done it all by himself. Jesus could have, Jesus could have went out and done all that he did on his own. But he refused to do it without family. He refused to do it out with, without these ones that he had now redefined redefined the idea of family and saying those that will follow me those that will be obey obey my commands that will listen to my voice that will follow after me that will let all down to come after me those are the ones that I'm calling family those are the ones that I'm going to do this with
And so I, I know, and there, there'll be there'll be time for that. There'll be a space for that because there is. I don't want to take away from the fact that there is there is a personal responsibility. There's a personal responsibility for for what you've been given. There's a personal responsibility for your time and all of that. But I want you to know, I want all of us to know that what you've been given, the resources that you've been given, is not just for you. They're not just for you. Romans chapter 12, verse 5 says that we belong to one another. We could take, we could take morning after morning going through the one another's throughout the New Testament. That's a pretty good one. It's a pretty clear-cut one. We belong to one another. What you have, the resources that you have, the wisdom that you have, all that has, all the experience that you have, that has been given to you, not just for you. See, the journey that you're on, the, the talents that you have, the giftings that you have, they are always, I think, in the context of family. See, the parable of the talents in Matthew 25 uh, tells us about uh, this story. Let me, let me just read a few verses from Matthew, Matthew 25, verse 14. Again, it would be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and trusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents of money, to another two, and to another one, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey, and the man who had received the five talents went at once, put his money to work, and gained five more. So also the one with the two talents gained two more. But the man who had received the one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received the five talents brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five talents. I have gained five more. Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. And then the same thing happens with the man with two. Verse 24 tells us about the man with the one talent. Master, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown, gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your talent in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. And the master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. See, here it was a man who kept it all to himself. Here was a man that hid, that hid what he had been given. And it might have been, I know it says that it was out of fear, but I think he was just so selfish. He was just wanting to keep it safe. He hid what he'd been given, did nothing with it, and went and offered it back to the master without having done anything with it. And the response, the response that he got is almost shocks us into, gets our attention, it really gets our attention. The danger of keeping it to ourselves. The danger of hiding it, being afraid of doing anything with it. 
he really got it wrong. He'd been so conditioned to look after his own interests. He'd be so conditioned to, that we're told that they, these other guys that went out and they made it work. They did what they could with what they'd been given. They stirred it really well. They managed it really well. And you know what I would love to say? I, I am with almost 100% certainty. I believe, as I read through this again last night, that I think that Jesus would rather that you take a risk and lose than not take a risk and keep hold of what you had. Jesus would rather you take a risk, and even if it, even if it meant failure. In this case, it didn't. But I think he would rather that you took a risk, that you tried to make it work, that you exposed the giftings and the talents that you have been given. And even if you lose, he would rather you did that. He would rather you did that than, than hid it away and did nothing with it and took no risk. See, they stewarded really well. To touch on what David shared last, last Sunday. They stewarded really well and because they, they managed it really well and they took, they took ownership. They took ownership of what they'd been given and it increased their influence. They took ownership of what they'd been given and they, it increased their influence. Now, you, now that I see what you've done with the five, I'm going to give you more. I'm going to be able to entrust you with many things. And some of you in the room will maybe say that, and I don't think God will bypass your personality anyway, but some of you might say, well, I don't want an increased influence. I don't want to be given more responsibility. And I would maybe just suggest, I think that's a dangerous game to play. That you would begin to, to think, I don't want, I, I, I see the, what will happen if I take on ownership of this. Ownership equals responsibility. I'll see what will happen if I take on ownership of this and, it, and it's successful because then my influence is going to increase. And you maybe say, well, I don't want influence to increase. I don't want to have to get up and speak or I don't want to have to go to my neighbor. I don't want to have to give that word or whatever it is. And I just want to say, I think that's really, that's a risky game to play. As we look at the, at the, at the servant who hid that talent, did absolutely nothing with it, and went and offered it back to the master. He hadn't lost anything, but he hadn't done anything with what he'd been given. He never took ownership of it. And so his influence never went any further than what it could have. And I think that as we are continuing through this series, and Neville will pick it up next week, and with Alan Emerson coming in the week after that, uh, to continue on with this, with this same theme. But I just think that Jesus is, that he is saying that he's entrusting you with this oikonomia. See, to go back to where we started three weeks ago, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 9 and 10, this mystery that's been given. And the mystery was this oikonomia. This, this mystery that was entrusted to Paul to see heaven come to earth. And he stewarded this oikonomia. He stewarded really well. And we have been entrusted with this. And if you manage it wisely, and if you use it wisely, you will be given more. And probably over the next 
next number of weeks we'll, we'll pick up on some of the resources that we've talked about two or three weeks ago. The resources that we mentioned then, were, were, we, all, we all have them to, to one degree or, or another. Spiritual resources, relational resources, physical, intellectual, financial. We all have them. Either some of them are stronger than others. Some of them have grown more than others. But as I was thinking of spiritual resources, spiritual what we have to invest spiritually, I'm reminded of our increasing need today for fathers and mothers. Fathers and mothers, to father and mother, sons and daughters. And there's people in this room that, regardless, it's almost regardless of age, but there's people in this, in this room that have built up, that have continued to invest in their spiritual capital, their spiritual resources have continued to grow. And I love to say to fathers and mothers that it hasn't just been grown so that you go to heaven and say, look, look what all I grew. It's, 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 you've invested in that and you've grown spiritually so that you can give it away to sons and daughters. Sons and daughters need you to invest what you've been given in them. And I think it's really, really important to think of intellectual. There's people in this room, I think, that have that have invested really well and now they have a lot of resources around the idea of creativity and ideas. And I think you have a responsibility to realize that that is not just for you. It is for you to share for the family and mission. It's for you to share with the body of Christ. It needs, it needs you to invest ideas into. It needs you to invest creativity into. And the order that I give them, I think it's the order of importance that I, that I think we see when we read through the, the Bible. Spiritual is most important, then relational, then physical, or time, or energy, intellectual, and then financial. I was thinking about this last night. It's absolutely, I know it's, I'm placing it down at the bottom of the least important, but at the same time, it's foolish to think that there's some things that can't be done without money. There's people that God is, has gifted and there's people that God has blessed. And he's blessed you not just for you. He's blessed you so that you can give it away. And I, and I want to say that we, we, we end up avoiding financial, talking about the financial thing, and we shouldn't. It's foolish to think that there's stuff that can't be done without money. And so I, I love it that you, as we continue on with this over the next few weeks, that you, would, that you would be willing to ask yourself the question, where is it that I'm lacking? Which area is it that I'm lacking in? Where can I invest from somewhere else? Where can I invest from somewhere else? So, for example, the times where I'm feeling like I'm really lacking relationally, it's times that I, it's not that I have a whole load of money, there's times where I'm like, there's enough money here that I can take somebody out for dinner and invest invest financially so that I can grow relationally. That becomes really important. It's become really important for me. But there's times where I'm recognizing that God, I'm 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 lacking here relationally. I feel like I'm I'm running on empty relationally. Where is it? 
where is it that I've got? Have I got enough time in my hands? There's weeks that I have enough time in my hands. So I'll give physically. I'll invest physically so that I can, I can grow relationally. And even as a family on mission, we're wanting to ask that question. We're wanting that, me and David and Neville, we're wanting to ask that question. But we're not wanting to ask it outside of, outside of every one of you. Because as a family on mission, we're wanting to ask that question as, as, as a group, as an extended family. Where are we lacking? Where can we invest better so that we can grow? Where are we lacking? Where do we need to invest in? Let me finish let me finish with reading a couple of verses in Second Corinthians. And I promise you I'll finish with this. I'm not going to add any more to it. So Paul, if you want to you get ready. Second uh, Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7. And so I, I, I'm really aware that this verse is speaking about giving. But the more I've read this, the more I've read Second Corinthians chapter 9, the disclaimer is, I know it's about giving, the giving of money. But I think what can be said about giving can also be said about living, about managing well, about stewarding well. And so with that in mind, I'd love to read these few verses and then Paul's going to f- finish off our time together. Chapter 9, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, he has scattered abroad his gifts to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed. He will increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. If you'll invest well, you will be made rich in every way. So that, so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of God's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, men will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace that God has given to you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable 